0: this is a true canadian love story we were meant to be together
1: i can't imagine my life without you
0: honestly he's a light of my life
1: it's nice to be in that tractor beam of love i'm her biggest fan i think i knew i'd lost my heart again i knew i wanted a marriage like that difficult roads can lead to very beautiful destinations
0: well love is the most important thing
1: I truly believe that the Maritimes, it sounds twee when I refer to it as being magical, but uh, there's a line in the Sopranos when Tony Soprano is trying to get out of helping to relocate a family and he says there isn't a, a geographical solution to an emotional problem. And I actually think there is if you move to the Maritimes.
0: Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. Today's love story belongs to James Mullinger. James had a dream job at GQ magazine in the UK, but followed his heart into comedy. Then he made another unexpected move and followed his wife to Canada, chasing happiness instead of fame. And isn't it just the way? Fame followed him, even to St. John, New Brunswick. This is the Canadian Love Map. Okay, James, I'm so happy to have you here. I am suspicious, though. And I'll tell you, I've started to suspect that there are more of you than one. I think you either are one of triplets or identical, because you seem to be doing so much in the world right now. How do you even have time to have this conversation with us?
1: Well, A, always got time for you. This is my absolute priority of this week so uh, and thank you by the way for having me uh you know how much i love you and i love this podcast so uh, it's a joy to be here um i think the answer to the question is that it never feels i never feel stressed with the amount of things happening because for so many years i dreamed of living this life so to actually now be in a position where you know and of course there's millions of people in the world that a hundred times Busier than I am, but these are all things that I dreamed of doing, and I now get to do them. So it doesn't faze me if I do two, three book signings in, in a day, and then do a show that night, because that was always the uh, that was always the dream. <laughs>
0: That's amazing to me. <laughs> I I loved your book so much on so many levels, and was actually shocked by how much we have in common. And you said that when you interviewed me for your podcast, Mullinger Meets Canadians. Uh, but now that I've read your book, I really get it. And I and I think not only are we both podcast hosts and, and both the funniest people we each know, respectively, uh, <laughs> yes. but uh, our insecurity that we reveal... Uh, the yeah. public life, nonetheless, in spite of it, we've had a teacher belittle us and have that be a, a pivotal moment in our life, something we remember and that that in fact gives us wings, you know, at, at the end. Uh, and it goes on and on. But I would love to talk to you about love because that's the the real theme of this podcast, as you know. And what I love about the Canadian Love Map is that we celebrate all kinds of love. And you, I feel like you have so many elements of love in your life. And I'd love to start there. I've used love 47 nice. times. My inner critic tells me I've used the word love 48 times now in the space of 40 seconds.
1: You can't overuse the word love. I think Just like you can't, too, you can't have too much love in, the, in your life. That's right. Or in a sentence.
0: All you need is love as I learned in your book from you and Paul McCartney, but we'll get to that in a moment. Maybe, maybe we won't. Um, What was the first thing you remember loving as a child?
1: Good, beautiful way to start outside of obviously parents and, and, and and my brother, I mean, and I mean, stuffies would definitely be a thing, which I, I, of course we all love stuffies as a child. And I, I must admit, I still get a lot of satisfaction, joy, and love from uh, stuffies. I still I still take a stuffie to bed. Uh, I love the fact that my kids, both who are 8 and 11, I encourage them to, to continue um, a, a love of stuffies. Doesn't um, one of
0: them have a stuffie that you had as a child?
1: Exactly. Yes, yeah. beautifully. Uh, yes, well remembered. Amazing. See, I really did uh, read you, the book. You really did read it. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. Um, exactly. And um, so stuffies, but I think... The number one thing that I remember just loving and being at my happiest was being in in video shops and looking at VHS video covers. And it's funny that that thing and that magicness of being in a video shop and holding up the cover to a movie like National Lampoon's Vacation and looking at the artwork... That is still uh, something which I got great pleasure from at six and and now at, at 44 still get great pleasure from when I pick up uh, my VHS videos. It's a weird thing. From that love became uh, a love of inevitably John Candy movies. And watching John Candy movies was the first time that I saw my parents howl with laughter. and And I think that was definitely something that I loved then and loved now which is of course just being in a room with people where they are howling with laughter and it was just seeing my parents who were who were you know before that just strict parents to kind of lose control uh, because of these movies so that, that definitely
0: oh I like that what can really shift gears in their mood and and if that's something that can make them laugh so hard it must be something I should aspire to maybe
1: Right, right. And, and and essentially, I just looked at him like a, which he is and, and, and was, and, and still will always be remembered as a, a superhero. And it seemed to me like a superpower that how could someone have written, crafted, and then filmed this this thing that has made my parents lose all control and just, and all of us collectively in a room together uh, with family members of all ages, all be in hysterics. And so, obviously, mm. through that, then discovering stand up and that there were these people that could stand on a on a stage and do this to a room it just felt like uh, a, a superpower it was, was how i saw it
0: so i it, this has never occurred to me before this mm-hmm. moment but as i hear you describe that i see that connection of laughter as being a real sense of belonging
1: right Right.
0: When you're in the it's, room with people really laughing hard, there that you know it really engenders a sense of true belonging in a way.
1: It, it really does. And when you think about like the word the word home and and, and what um, a home is, and indeed just like you know what what, what a church is, and the fact that it isn't a, the bricks and mortar, it's it's the it's the people in it, and it's the sense of, of belonging. Mm-hmm. And really, any room that has laughter in it becomes that person's it becomes where they belong like if you're in a room in a circle of people wherever you are oh it's a room or a basement or a field or wherever you are if everyone is there laughing together then that is where you all belong oh that is beautiful i just want to linger on the
0: let's pause for no
1: <laughs> yeah, you can, lovely, you can yeah. pause
0: the recording and then start you know, just, again. The, just linger but, on that thought for a moment
1: but, but um, neither of us have had that thought before yeah. and we just And you just created it. And and that is a magical thing. This is why, going back to your point, it feels so incredible that we've met at at this time. We just both happen to be, as you say, putting out, you know, memoirs with very similar themes. I'm not sure there are, I mean, at any other time in history, even if our books had come out 10 years apart, it would still be interesting how similar they are. But the fact they both came out around the same week and we, we, we discovered this, this connection. And then the fact that this, I mean, that concept of belonging that you just set up and we just literally workshopped, we're both going to have to fight over who gets that. Yes, exactly. That oh, speech, I get it. I get it. It's my podcast. I get it. It's your podcast <laughs> and your idea, but yeah, you set it up. I just, uh, oh. I just then repeated it back at you. <laughs>
0: James, I, that's for me, that is the sweet spot uh, professionally of life is creative collaboration is getting into a room, getting two or more brains into a room and having something emerge from the collaboration that would not exist if if just one of those people had been
1: there. Right. And it's true. And it's almost almost what what makes doing this job harder in a smaller place because in the UK, I was constantly surrounded by other comedians and writers and and now but this the desk that i'm sat at right now is where i write all of my comedy and yes granted obviously it comes from ideas and conversations and things but what you don't have is a room full of i'm, I'm not and also I mean, i'm pretty much always touring solo as well all the corporate gigs i'm doing by myself the theater shows i might have one support act but um it, it, it's what makes the 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 honing of the material and the writing material much harder because you're not in in a workshop environment with other comics all the time
0: instead it feels like you're in an echo chamber probably
1: (laughs) yes that that, that's exactly it yeah so really i mean all of my i basically had to replace comedy club dressing rooms for like sobis basically is where i workshop my material i'm (laughs) hanging out in sobis and just chatting with people and
0: you should consider doing one of those um stands where you give out food at least so you have a reason you then have a captive audience
1: that's true it's that's true that that, that that could absolutely happen in <laughs> fact there is a we i mean another project we're currently working on is a sitcom about me moving well, a fictional character called James who's a comedian who's forced to move we're filming it in Murmashi in uh august uh, Miramichi will will make up the fictional town but one of the there's a scene of me doing exactly that in uh in in Osobe's. so uh, oh, you're very oh my gosh perceptive. where do i
0: sign up for my audition
1: well, per- well, okay, done. I'm going to be in touch because we need, uh, we need, we need uh, maritime's heroes uh, and maritime's royalty. Oh yes, uh, oh yes. In, uh, Keep
0: that up. I'll give you 25 minutes to stop talking like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay, so James, you're sitting at that desk. You talk about where you write your comedy. Is that the same desk where you became a Canadian citizen?
1: Actually, I d- I did that at the dining table downstairs. But yes, I sat at the at the dining table downstairs and sang, Oh Canada, very poorly, alone in the house. Well, I said, my wife was in there. She took took a video that must never see the light of day (laughs) of me um, massacring that that beautiful song. But yes, and it was during a lockdown, so no one was able to come and celebrate. But you know what? It's it's all about getting the title. I Mm -hmm. didn't need the the ceremony and the party to go with it.
0: Okay, we're going to go back to the theme of love. And before Mm. we move into your love affair with Canada... I'd like to uh, set the stage for that because if you hadn't fallen in love with Pam, presumably you wouldn't be. Well, who knows? But you might not be in Canada now, very likely. Tell sure. me about tell me about uh, meeting and falling in love with Pam.
1: Yes. Um, and it's an amazing thing that I often think about this, that I'm, of course, you know, extremely happily married and extremely uh grateful to have met but it's amazing to have when you meet someone and fall in love and get everything you want which is for the two of you to be together and to and to have a family but then also the fact that i just feel such gratitude to the fact that she happened to be from this place new Brunswick. In the Maritimes, which is my happy place that I love so much, and it it, just—it's quite incredible to kind of think that that was a double gift because—and again, similarly, like I mean, her her family. I mean, I the first time I met her family, I just fell in love with all of them, and I and I remember thinking, "Wow, I would want to be in this family even if we weren't." So it was kind of a three pronged uh, win, really, to um to meet someone, and it was and it was really such a chance encounter. We met on my first day of work experience at GQ magazine i was there for a one week internship uh, which incredibly turned into a 14 year career there which was part of the the, the plan i just didn't think that it would go to plan <laughs> and um, on my first day i uh, met pam o- on my lunch break and um i would i can't recall if it was love at first sight but i kind of think it was and um really i think we went out that night to a pub uh, as was customary in England, uh, and certainly in London, every day after work. And we pretty much did our courting, if that's still a word that is said. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, you're the host of a love podcast. You wouldn't have courting, Definitely. that's okay to say. It's still a word. We did our courting essentially in London pubs, uh, drinking uh, far too much most evenings <laughs> and and putting the, the world to rights <laughs> and um, and thinking that we should one day start our own magazine. That was literally a conversation we had in the first week that we met in September, 2000. And then we eventually did that in July, 2014, Amazing. No, 2017, sorry, 2017. I apologize.
0: So when I interview couples or have conversations with couples on this podcast, I, I always ask them what they love about one another. This is going to be a one way street right now, but what do you love most about your wife?
1: Um, I think, the main thing is, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely in, in, in awe of her. Like I'm in awe of, of, of what she, what she does, what she's done in her life. Um, you know, I'm obviously extremely, uh, attracted to her, how she looks, of course. Um, but I'm, it's quite incredible that we work together. Like, I mean, when I'm on the road, we work together on, on the magazine. So, uh, it has, there are times where, where that can be tricky. For example, the first thing in the morning when you wake up, the first thing you hear, you don't want it to be, "Did you send that invoice?" <laughs> and 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 the last thing that you hear before you go to bed, you don't want to hear, "Did you remember to get back to so and so?" And that's what it's like. And get, and it's quite amazing that we are still very happily married, given that we do work together that intently, um, and and essentially have created a situation where, I mean, where she had an extremely you know um, high powered job working for Monocle magazine in the UK obviously had lots of people working for her, obviously had tons of responsibilities and it was highly, highly stressful, which is one of the reasons that we um, came here for a a different quality of life. But suddenly to go from that where you are doing a lot, but it's very focused what you do to suddenly now where we do everything, like we do the jobs. There might be 60 people on Monocle magazine, for example, or 60 or 70 on GQ. (laughs) doing doing all of the different jobs. We do all of them. We are now the distribution. We are now we're all of it. And so it's amazing that we that we that we're still uh happily married given that. But I think the thing that I, I I love most is the thing that I think that she's not someone that likes to uh be in the public eye or or talk about. But the thing that I just find absolutely incredible is that she got on a plane in her early twenties, went to London where her, her best friend from New brunswick was was there studying to be an opera singer but but Pam basically got here or got to, got to London with a bag on her back uh you know a few hundred pounds in the bank and knocked on doors and somehow with no magazine experience got a job working for Vanity Fair which she was then promoted to fashion manager within six months, then poached by Tyler Brule to work for wallpaper magazine. Like the fact that all of this, and this is not, and of course in England, um there's yeah, there's this kind of there's this class system at play. Um, but of course with a North American accent, people can't place uh where you're from or what your background is and and her background is a classic you know hard working maritimes uh upbringing where you know had had, had had dad was a postman uh her parents run a, a body shop in their yard uh, they did whatever they and still do do whatever they can to uh give a good life for their family just hard working maritimers but england the media world in england is so cliquey and so you know it's all about family connections and everything else and then this girl from the kingston peninsula in new brunswick <laughs> arrives in london and gets all of this herself which i mean i put it down to a maritimes um work ethic mm-hmm. but i uh, i find it in- incredible that, sh- that that someone could could go there become hugely successful and this was the fa- most fascinating thing i've uh really experienced in the last few years where when we moved here it was very strange we moved back to to for her moved back and for me moved to New Brunswick lots of people would say to her you know how did you convince him all the rest of it And because she doesn't blow her own horn she doesn't really point out the fact that I wasn't really giving much up she's the one that was giving up the the incredibly you know well-paid and high-powered job to come to a place where suddenly everyone's like going oh how did you convince the you know the comedian husband to, to move here and meanwhile Um, She was the one giving one of that up. So someone that can go to England, conquer it, but then make a decision that the best thing for for your children is to go back to New Brunswick. I I find all of those things which she's guided us through to be uh, one of the things I love so much about her.
0: I really appreciate your point, but I also hear the humility in that. For the record, I'm going to flag flag on the play on the humility issue. Um, but at first, when you were describing the two of you doing the magazine, given how many people it takes to put out most magazines, I was seeing this image of Faulty Towers. But it sounds like you have managed to uh, foster a much better relationship than Basil Faulty and his wife. <laughs> and, and yet, now when you talk about her experience, and I. I know all your experience no wonder the two of you can can create this magazine on your own you're both superstars it's really it's really something and I I do find it so inspiring that it was her um attachment to home that uh, it seems to me it was her attachment to her home in the Maritimes that was the seed of why you both decided to leave the the rat race as it were in London and come back here. And and that moves us into our conversation about your love affair with Canada. But it seems to me that like a lot of relationships, it wasn't always smooth. And that starts with your first flight to Canada.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: Tell me about
1: that. My first uh, flight to Canada, I was told uh, that she lived in a place called uh, St. John. And when you type in St. John into there. Air Canada website, for reasons that will become very clear, Air Canada deliberately choose to not have a are you sure you mean question mark like Google does and like what most companies do because uh, I accidentally went to uh, St. John's, Newfoundland rather than St. John, (laughs) New Brunswick. A a mistake which um, I am told as I walk through, every time I walk through St. John Airport, someone will run over that works there I know all the people that work at the lovely St. John Airport and they will run over and say, we had another one last night. Some idiot got off the plane and said, taxi to George Street. And they said, wrong province, moron. And it's, and, it's, and so it's a mistake that happens a lot. I see it a lot actually, but at airports. I was at a gate at Montreal airport a few months ago. And the voice came on the loudspeaker saying, "The flight to Saint John, you Brunswick's leaving in ten minutes. But if you're flying to Saint John's Newfoundland, the gates at the opposite end of the airport." Fifteen people got up and started running. <laughs> right? And I think air Canada do it on purpose because of all the extra, um, all the extra money that they're making from it. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my conspiracy theory. But it is a, a an oddly Canadian thing where you have these towns that have similar names. I mean, I mean, again, like there's enough words and, le- and uh, words and, and, and indeed letters in the alphabet that you don't need to have an Edmonton and Edmund turn an Edmund stone. Just come up with, uh, to, to you know, do you really need to have a Sackville, New Brunswick, and then uh, uh, two hours away, there's a lower Sackville in a completely different province. It's it's designed to confuse um, us.
0: It is. I will apologize on behalf of our country for that, James. I'm sorry <laughs> that's, you. that's you. giving you Apology issues. Apology accepted. <laughs> <laughs> but I really got a kick out of uh, thinking you were on your way to visit her parents yeah. for the first time to meet them. and. She She's standing there in the Saint John, New Brunswick airport, saying, "Where are you?" And you're saying, "I'm right here in the yeah. Saint John's airport." So yes, welcome to Canada. Yeah. What was it about Canada that, on your visits here, that made you feel you would like to live here?
1: Um, it was def- It was the fact that, like, when I was, I mean, again, growing up in a suburb of, of London, where. It wasn't a, a, a bad place where I lived necessarily, and I, I, in my act, I sometimes exaggerate kind of how about it was, but it, but but there was no kind of sense of community, like like you know you didn't really uh, you didn't really know your neighbors, people didn't say hello in the street, and and yet when I would go and stay with my grandma, she lived in a in a seaside town on the south coast of England that in the eighties kind of felt like the fifties. I mean I mean you still had to lock your doors and things, but. Um, people would say hello in the streets and the neighbors would turn up unannounced. And it was this magical place where there was, you know, beaches and the new forest was nearby. And so coming here, suddenly I was like, wow, there's another place just like my grandma's. And 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 people literally, literally don't lock their doors. I mean, it's it, people in the UK cannot get their head around the fact <laughs> that, um, that that's a possibility anywhere in the world, let alone in, in the second biggest country in the world. And there's huge parts of it where no one locks their doors. Uh, and i feel like I mean part of it is the fact that people are people are just they're not full of rage and again I don't know what it is in the uk where you know like if you for example you get on a on a train or a bus to work in the morning you'll just see, see two people kind of respectable looking people getting into a, a full-blown fist fight because of the anger and the rage and the stress and all those things and then to come to a place where it's the total opposite um so all of those things compounded on that very first visit in 2000 I couldn't believe it people are saying hello in the streets I couldn't believe the views and and at that time in and those first few years of visiting i think i thought totally wrongly that this is this is kind of a magical place that you come to maybe have do a retreat or come to write a book but that you could never have a fulfilling career in media or entertainment here that that's what I thought mm-hmm. in those early uh visits it was kind of this was a quaint charming place i i'll I come here to unwind and then i'll get back to where, where i thought i belonged
0: This podcast is brought to you by Charm Diamond Centers, Canada's largest family-owned jewelry store. They are proud to be putting love on the map. And the staff at Charm Diamond Centers are thrilled to be a part of your love story, too. So visit CharmDiamondCenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. Am I right that Canada was also the place where the seed of your love of stand-up was planted
1: well, well 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 very much so i mean a obviously discovering that john candy was a canadian in my early oh years my. definitely but but yes i mean certainly um the first few i i had i had i knew i wanted to do stand up but it was realizing that i had to do it i was at a dinner theater in saint john new brunswick yes that's what i'm year's thinking Day. of yeah 2004 and um I realized that I would had been very i was unhappy with my life in London as it was, but I was also extremely frustrated that I wasn't pursuing the thing that I dreamed of doing i.e. being a stand up and so going to a dinner theater and seeing um all of these performers just wow the audience and, and and realizing that actually they were the stars of the stage and i always I always kind of say this that really. If, you, if this is the thing that you want to do, it doesn't matter in what capacity you're doing it. It's why I always find it strange at the end of, you know, uh, those TV talent shows like Pop Idol or American Idol and or Canadian Idol, and, and they're down to the last three, and, and the performers say, you know, if I don't win this, my life is over. And I'm thinking, well, that's because you actually don't want to be a singer. You just want to be famous. Right. It, because you can have a very successful career singing. In, and it might be that it's on cruise ships, or it might be in restaurants. But if you, if you want to sing, you 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 can do that. Um, but you clearly just want to be famous, which is which is unfortunately what those talent shows often often breed. Whereas if you just love the craft of something, uh, which is how I feel about stand up, I I do not have I um, I don't have any other end game other than being able to continue doing it the way I'm doing it now. And actually, it doesn't even matter if it doesn't stay the way that it is. It, it, as long as I'm able to do it, that's the thing. So it was, it was the dawning realization of being in a dinner theater and seeing these performers, loving what they're doing, um, being the stars. And I just thought, I can't keep hating myself for not succeeding at something I haven't even tried to do. And that was the what gave me the impetus to, to have my first gig.
0: Wow. That is connecting to a thought I had just a few days ago. And it was uh, from my book, you know, from showing off to showing up. That another way to put that is that I used to focus on being loved, and now I'm focused on being love. and that's what I'm hearing you say in your description of of the difference between you know if you if you want fame and adulation and and your relationship, your love affair with stand up, like every other relationship had some tumultuous times. I, I love this quote from your book. It felt like how mobsters describe their first hit, except the only person who had died was me <laughs> describing a show you did. <laughs> tell, t- do, what, tell me what you remember about that show.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I had so many bad gigs and, it, and it's interesting because I mean, the, 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 British open mic scene is this kind of fascinating place of, you know, and now, you know, in theory, hundreds of performers, some of whom have been going for a year, some of whom have been going for 20 years. And within two or three years, it becomes obvious, like who's going to do okay at this and, and who's not. And often I would say when you kind of hit like the five year mark, if you're not doing certain gigs or playing certain clubs, it's kind of clear that you're either going to have to give up or become one of those people that's just been around forever who turns up, you know, after 20, 25 years, the open mic nights and everyone's like, Oh my God, is is he still going? Um, and I would say that I definitely was bad for way longer than most people. So I was, I, I, I it, it took me a lot longer to, so it was a bizarre thing having all of these, all of these deaths night after night. And then, and then you think well, I'm going to give up and then you'd have one good one and and go that, and then that would make you carry on. But I, I will be completely honest. There were some moments where I felt like every time I had an awful experience, I would always think, "Well, this is going to be a great story for the autobiography." And I, I, and I and I and I. So the fact that that happened and I got to write about it means that um, I was right. So I would say to anyone listening to this who is out there who is struggling and everything is going wrong for them in whatever their chosen field or 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 creative area is. Uh every awful thing that happens is uh, is one step closer to uh the, the dream being lived.
0: hmm It's fertilizer.
1: Yes. It it feels exactly. like
0: it just feels like shit at the time, but it's actually fertilizer. Totally. totally. I love your exuberance for the region and and you you uh, are making now you're you know you're making a career of it and you really uh, express that love through the magazine maritime edit uh, so how did how did that really come to be that that idea for the magazine
1: yeah I, I think it, it really stemmed from us moving here and uh, being. A in that first couple of years, being absolutely blown away at how much there was to do here, the inc- and 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 we knew we were coming to a place with friendly people and beautiful views and and all, and, and we knew it would be a great quality of life, but we didn't realise how much uh, excitement there was, and this is such a huge uh, fact that is left out of um, sometimes tourism marketing efforts, and certainly by companies that are trying to recruit people here, um, and and the traditional. And newspapers weren't necessarily covering a lot of this stuff. Um, of course, the national media across Canada tends to ignore uh, this side of the region completely. I mean, almost every national magazine or newspaper. Well, again, I mean, I mean, the two big newspapers in the, in, in this country don't even distribute in Atlantic Canada at all. So given they don't distribute and they and they've also never really had much focus on writing about the region. So we're here and we're enjoying this incredible quality of life. Um, and in two years, so surprised by all the amazing shows and events and things, and we're learning about these things. But people would say to us afterwards, they'd be like, "How do you hear about all this stuff?" And it's like, "Well, we we know how to dig and find out." And so, really, it was born out of uh, a frustration that we didn't uh, a physical, tangible thing that celebrated the joy of living in and working in and visiting Atlantic Canada, but also something where we this is where the name edits we we do the edit for you. We will go out and find out everything that's happening and we will curate it and and deliver the edit to you um but it was wanting i mean my pam had a, a philosophy when we moved here she said we're not going to complain about missing things if, if something doesn't exist that we want to exist we're going to do it we're not going to complain about ah, it that's and so, so
0: good
1: yeah i mean so when we were sat there kind of not having um not having a magazine to read about the place we said well let, let's create one
0: well that's great because it strikes me um, people react to you I'm, I'm watching this studiously people react to your optimism and exuberance like it lights up rooms it lights up you know the internet and you're putting that in the pages of a magazine
1: oh wow, that's nice really and that's really, well-
0: yeah, I think I, anyway, so I congratulate you on that. And it makes me think of a phrase that I heard first from from Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan friar, love in action. And I thought that about your book. I'm, it's going to make me emotional, but um, it's okay. I'm as, as you know, I'm very comfortable with emotion. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> but I, I
0: thought are. that phrase this morning when I was thinking about your book. It is, in a way, it's love in action because it is opening a door for people to see beyond the the perfect image they see on stage, and to see into your life and into your mind and into your heart. And I think that's such a gift. Um, but I think your life seems to be love in action.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it, it, it certainly feels like, and I would say it's it's all about. This place, I truly believe that the Maritimes. It sounds, you know, it, it sounds twee when I refer to it as being magical. But uh, there's a line in the in the sopranos when Tony Soprano is trying to get out of um hel- helping to relocate a, a family, and he says there isn't a, a geographical solution to an emotional problem. And I actually think there is a geographical solution to an emotional problem if you move to the Maritimes, because I I, I feel that moving to a place where People are caring and loving, and this sense of community and supportive. I mean, this is the other thing: is that even though when we said we were starting a print magazine about Atlantic Canada out of our home in New Brunswick and, dis- and distributing it nationally, people, even though people said you're mad, in the same way when I said I'm going to uh, continue my comedy career living in a small town in New Brunswick, people said you're mad, but they did also say, "What can we do to help?" And that is the real secret weapon of the Maritimes is the way that people do look out for each other. So we might not have, you know, the national um, newspapers even distributing themselves here or, or writing about us, but but you know everything is grassroots here, and that's how I've had to do my stand up. And again, for both of us with with our book tours, it's it's very much a, a grassroots approach where it's going out and, and and meeting people, and that that love in action is is just infused with everything here and it's just it's communities it's neighbors it's it's areas um and and i think that's the thing that i I love so much about the maritime is that it feels like one small town all together and that to me is is this place is love in action
0: yeah i agree and of course we can't finish a conversation about love without talking about how love in action shows up in your personal life. You've got a family, of course, your own family and your extended family. How How is love showing up in your life these days?
1: Good question. Um, I think it's something that I inherited. Again, I, I put it all down to, to this region. I think the celebratory nature in the Maritimes has made me want to celebrate things. And really that's what the the, the magazine is. The magazine is really just me what celebrating other people. You know, that that was always the thing. It was it was never about us. It's about, well here's all these amazing people doing all these amazing things here. Here they are. And and so to me it's it's always been about celebrating others. And really that to me is is love in action
0: well that shines such a bright light into the world it really does and i guess james i'd like to i'd like to end by asking you what advice you have to give people there are a lot of people who will have tuned in to this because they want to do stand up comedy they have a dream of doing it or uh, or they might have a dream to do something entirely different what is the one thing you would say to encourage them
1: um, it, it, it really is about getting there, out there, and doing it because failing is something that that I and every single person has done, you know, a thousand times or a million times even, in order to to to, to get anywhere in this field. But if someone has a, a dream of something they want to try or or a new path in life, the worst thing in the world is is to not do it. That's when I was at my lowest ebb, the, my, my most depressed, that desire to do something and not doing it. So once I think you realize that you are going to be a better person when you are doing the thing that you uh, dream of doing, then it becomes very easy. So I, I would say just just think about how great life's going to be when you're trying to do this. Even when it's going badly, it's still much better than not doing it. So whether it be, Stand up comedy, or opening a uh, uh, becoming a, a nail technician, whatever it is, today's the day. <laughs> I love it.
0: Today is the day. Well, today <laughs> is the day I got to have you on this podcast, and I'm so 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 grateful. I want people to remember that your book is called Brit Happens, and it is so much more than just a funny book. There's so much heart, and I and I appreciate the book so much. Um, but also I want people to know how they can find out more about you.
1: Um, I guess just my, um, my website has links to all of my, uh, social media channels, but and everything is just at, at James Mullinger. So in my website, is but, um, I would love for people to, to get in touch because, uh, I love to chat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that comes across. <laughs> yes, i think I'm if sure. we've learned anything it's that you and i have no problem chatting
1: yeah, thank you james
0: so much for this
1: thank you for your support and friendship and thank you for writing this because i too have found this a um spectacular guide to life and has brought me much joy so thank you
0: but for the record he's holding up my book
1: oh I, I, sorry i forgot <laughs> that yes it <everyone's> listening <laughs>
0: We, we, I will say we've had a, a bit of fun, James and I, since we met a month ago, less than a month ago, promoting each other's books. So that's
1: great. Thanks, James, so much. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centres. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. This has been a Podstarter production.